Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. All brought to you by PRTG Network Monitor from Paisler.com. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, a little bit we'll be talking to our special guest interview this week and it's all going to be around Elon Musk who of course is making a lot of headlines this week but first I'm joined by our editor-in-chief Niall Kitson uh, Niall are you impressed or not impressed with the Facebook fine that they received for all the whole Cambridge analytical data scandal yeah Cambridge Analytica I mean the leaking of potentially 87 million users details to an organisation that claims to be able to manipulate elections I mean this is pretty much as bad as it gets um, it also uh, shows up the need for GDPR and GDPR enforcement which as we know goes from I think it's up to 4% of turnover to a maximum of 20 million euros so this is the UK Information Commissioner's Office and they're fine, uh, if you can believe it. I mean, you you know what the figure is. Go on, to tell us what the figure is. Do you know what? I can barely hear you. Oh, try that now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we keep rolling. Guess what that figure was? Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that hopefully it was a number of billions. Ah, come on. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. £500,000. That's the maximum. They find Facebook a company... They find £500,000. They find a company that's in the billions and billions and billions and hundreds of billions and possibly even trillions. 500000 That's like if you and I did something to our employers really bad and the employer went, all right, I'm going to duck money out of your wages for that and I'm going to take a euro. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think the register brought up the fact that it's the equivalent of 18 minutes profit for Facebook. I mean, when it's you look at it that way, joke. when when you look at the financial penalty, I mean, you'd look at it and you'd go, yeah, we'll eat that. Fair enough, reputational damage. We might lose a couple of users over it, but 18 minutes, yeah, we'll we'll eat that. No problem. Now, a lot, this whole scandal really broke before GDPR. So uh, how has GDPR changed this situation? Should something like this happen again? Well, it will change it. I mean, we're we're over the deadline now, um, so things will change. Yes, uh, we're looking at most likely a twenty million euro fine uh, when it gets to when it gets to Europe, and that's that's still you know a drop in the ocean to Facebook, but still, it's an important precedent to set, uh, and it's important to show companies you know around the world that yes, there are consequences for these things. Now, it's not quite Microsoft Intel numbers, but it's I guess important. And the reputational Actually, damage, yeah, super important as well. I, I, I think it's quite interesting when you, when, when you think about it because I think the fine is absolutely irrelevant. I think the amount of bad press and the trust that Facebook has lost in certain quarters 
Uh, and then also yeah. for the introduction of GDPR, it has absolutely put the heebie-jeebies up. Uh, the other 98% of people who use, <laughs> who provide services and newsletters on the internet, because they're all going, oh no, I have to get everything double and triple checked and they need to sign it in person and deliver it in the office and I have to take their photograph of them delivering their consent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I To be honest, I think there are an awful lot of companies still keeping their head below the parapet on that and hoping that it'll blow over or it'll come down to maybe one or two token fines and then it'll be forgotten about this kind of thing. But no, yeah. GDPR is here to stay and it's going to hurt some companies an awful lot more than others. It just so happens that Facebook can afford to eat fines like this and, and will probably be eating an awful lot of them in future and they'll issue their standard, you know, we're so sorry we're learning at this nonsense mm. Well, listen, GDPR can, I think, find a company up to something like 5% of their global turnover. And even at that, I think Facebook would eat it and not and not lose any sleep. Oh, yeah, it's 4% or 20 million. I mean, yeah. you know, they, so, they, they, will, they will manage that. We'll wait and see. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Listen, I have... Uh, bah, 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 bah. I received a little package from Amazon this morning with toys in it. <laughs> which I won't go into right oh. now. I won't, I won't go into it right now, right? Because I am looking forward to opening it uh, later. But you've been looking into toys uh, this week because Microsoft have announced uh, that they're going to get back into the whole iPad uh, space or down with uh, one of the Chrome tablets, yeah? Well, it's not getting back into space. I mean, the, the Surface has kind of found its niche and I'm noticing an awful lot more of them around town. I think... They kind of cracked it with the Surface Pro 3. And it was a nice device. It looked kind of sleek, very easy to to bring around with you, very light. Um, Some nice things going on in cooling and quite a bit of horsepower to it as well. So uh, great device. And I think it was very much a game changer for them. Uh, Now we are getting the Surface Go, which is kind of a downgrade um, if if you want to think of it that way, because... They're doing, Microsoft are doing very well in what you might call the premium tablet space. Okay. The, the Surface is a really nice bit of kit, but it's not cheap by any stretch. I mean, it's, it's up there with, you know, your premium Ultrabooks at this stage. However, if you look at the convenience of a tablet, you look at sort of the things that the iPad and the Chromebook initially did. It was sort of, um, basic well not so much the ipad when it came out the ipad was a content consumption device and because people liked it so much they started doing various other things with it uh leading to the to the ipad pro so one thing that uh chromebooks were particularly good at was offering a very basic bare bones experience with a lot of productivity tools built in which which is g suite as as we know it now so what microsoft are doing is they're kind of taking a best of both they're looking at what worked about the ipad they're looking at what worked about the chromebook and what is working for them already with the Surface Pro. And that's where the Surface Go comes from. It's going to be quite competitively priced. I think it's going to be roughly $399, which I guess puts it still below the entry-level iPad, but above the entry-level Chromebook, I think. Mm. So that's the sort of space that they're looking for. And, you know, it's going to be all basically... Nice little, nice little um, tablet plus Microsoft Office built in. So it'll be the kind of tablet where you can use it like a a laptop for general surfing and emailing and uh, maybe writing a document or doing a spreadsheet or the the, the usual day-to-day, not particularly processor intensive things. Uh, But unlike the Microsoft Pro, you're not going to be editing video on it. You won't be editing uh, uh, photos or any of that kind of thing. Is Is that the market where they're going for? 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, this is this is for I I think in their presentation they were talking about, you know, this is for the business user who wants to tweak a presentation before ready to go on or, you know, somebody that has very basic uses. That's very much the sweet spot they're going for. And it'll um, have the same it'll have the same form factor then as the uh, the Microsoft Pro, Surface Pro. Slightly different, slightly different form factor. I think um, I think it's like a ten inch screen. I think so. It makes it slightly slightly smaller than the current Surface Pro. Mm. Uh, and again, that that speaks to the sort of throw it in your bag, away you go kind of kind of thing. Mm. Very simple device. Um, pretty much kind of the gateway to Microsoft Office if you want to look at it uh, from a certain perspective. Mm. I can see I can see use for it in the market. Um, whether it will find purchase is another thing. I mean, Microsoft have come along with some very good devices in the, in the past and it just, um, they never took off. Uh, I'm not going to mention the Zoom at all. <laughs> but That was a nice, really nice piece of kit. It just never took off. Yeah, yeah. There, there was nothing wrong with it. I think it was just... The wrong, well, the right device at the wrong time. That, that's exactly. You know, anyway, that. back back to our Surface Go. Anyway, you, you think this is going to be a yeah. goer? Aha! Um, interesting question. I honestly don't know. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Just, from 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 your brief description, I am definitely going to uh, Google this later tonight, uh, or should I say, I'll, I'll Microsoft Bing it later tonight. Aha! Um, because uh, my uh, my good lady uh, wife is a writer. That's what she does for a living. And she's got a nice laptop and office and stuff like that. But she's always kind of saying, oh, I'd love to kind of go out and do the coffee shop thing and maybe write for an hour or whatever. But her laptop's not suitable for that. Uh, and I've been looking at, you know, maybe to, just getting a... I, I didn't want to spend good money on it because it's going to be something that's only going to be used occasionally. Mm. But I didn't want to get a Chromebook because everything she has is on is on Microsoft Word, and I don't like the feel of the Chromebooks. They just feel cheap. So yeah, you know, maybe I'll have a look because Microsoft do make very good hardware when 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 they do get around to making hardware. Well, they've they've had to because they're they're looking at you know Apple as their main mm. their main uh, competitor yeah. because they're they're going into design. You know that's that's what they want to entice people with, uh, and with the Surface Pro, I think they've they've really done that. I mean they they had a, a misstep with the first generation Surface. The first generation Surface Pro is slightly clunky, although I still have one and I still use it. Um, so the Surface Go seems to be a, a, a best of both. Nice, nice design, but running very basic software. It even runs uh, Windows 10 S, which is sort of the stripped down home version. You know, it's it, yeah. Grand. Listen, uh, do you think if I ordered one uh, maybe next month that I might have it delivered to me by an unpost drone? Uh, well, maybe if you ask nicely enough. Uh, <laughs> I believe they got started with it this week, yeah? Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't this week. I think it was a couple of weeks ago at this stage, but information was just sort of filtering over to well, me now. Well, it's only been released. Yeah, you know yeah, 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 yeah. It's only, it's only made news now this week. Go on. Yeah, so this was uh, the first package delivered by drone from Runapier in Mayo to Clare Island. Uh, first package delivered by drone from Unpost, first of many, I'm sure. And yeah, more of that, please. Do you think drone deliveries is going to take off? Because, I mean, Amazon have been doing it for quite a while and I'm like, and apparently around San Francisco, half of the uh, traffic on the sidewalk is uh, is robots delivering things and there's drones in the air delivering other things. I don't know. Is, is this still science fiction or science fact? 
I think for very remote areas where it doesn't make sense to have a car, Mm -hmm. you know, the fuel costs or the insurance cost or whatever, it does make a lot of sense just to send over a drone, which would do so relatively inexpensively if it's only a, a small amount of post or, you know, one or two parcels or something like that. I think it makes absolute sense to do something like that. Uh, as for delivering things, you know, your daily mail in a, you know, a large city, I don't think it makes any any sense to do that when in, in any sort of densely packed area. I don't think it's a good idea. However, if you're in a quite remote area, then yeah, sure, why not? I like uh, the way they have it in the in the ad where there's a set landing space. You have a set landing space on your property, wherever it is that you live, uh, for a drone, and it's able to drop the the package. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm still. Neither here nor there about it. I can see the advantages, but I think it's too much science fiction for my life right now. <laughs> and you like science fiction. Ah, listen, we love science fiction, as we well know. But anyway, let's not get into that, or we'll be here until the cows come home. Uh, for now, Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with what was happening during the week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, we're all familiar with Hyperloop, Elon Musk's superfast fifth form of transportation. On the 22nd of July, teams from all over the world are going to descend on Hawthorne in California for the third Hyperloop Challenge. This year, the theme is speed, and teams will try to break the speed record for sending a pod prototype down a tube measuring one mile long and six feet in diameter. Now, we're happy to say that one of the teams is from Ireland and has made the finals of the competition. They're called Air Loop, one of 20 teams out of a field of 200 entries. Niall Katzen, Niall Kitson, pardon me, sat down with their lead software architect, Nina Canty, to find out more. So, Nina, I guess the first question I should ask you is um, the attraction of um, Hyperloop, I guess, for you from, from the get-go, because I know it's a project that has captured the imagination of, uh, of a lot of people. So what attracted you to it? Um, I think the attraction is that you're creating the fifth mode of transportation. So, like, you're creating something that doesn't exist as of yet. I mean, the Hyperloop idea existed for a very long time but hasn't been implemented yet. So it's very exciting to be at the forefront of innovation, and especially coming from Ireland, we're actually contributing to this. And, like, by doing this competition and by being in the top 20s, Airloop is, like, actually contributing into the development of Hyperloop and perhaps our designs can be used in the future by these companies like SpaceX and Richard Branson's Hyperloop 1 to, you know, bring Airloop to reality. So tell me a little bit about uh, the genesis of Airloop as a project because it's it's more than one university. It's quite a diffuse team. So tell me a, a little bit about the makeup of it. So the, our team, Airloop, it started back in September and it consists of seven different universities. And how that all started off is basically, you know, we all wanted to do this and there's a few students from each different university interested in it. So we thought we'd just jump all the universities together and, you know, work together to get, come up with this idea. So we had to go through a few design evaluations that we had to submit to SpaceX. And, you know, first of all, it was just the design. And secondly, you do the technical report and the design specifications and so forth. And then by January, we got uh, into the top 20. So, you know, we, we meet up every week. And it's quite hard because there's universities like DCU, UCD, Trinity College, Maynooth University, um, Institute of Tala, IADT, DIT. So we have quite a number of universities working on this, and it's quite hard to everyone to meet up once a week. But we do do it because we're very passionate about the project. 
So it started off back in uh, September for us, but the hype group actually existed back in the 83, and then Elon Musk proposed it uh, back in 2013, and he like released a white paper making the hype group open source for other people to develop and work on. So I guess having the um, the Hyperloop as being an open source project really was great at attracting ideas and, and really sort of opening up um, the technology, not just to other engineers in the professional sector, but to students such as yourselves. How do you view the competition? I mean, do you see it as something that, you know, you will produce something that can be commercialized at the end of it? Or do you see it as purely a, an intellectual endeavor? I, I, we like we feel at Airloop like our designs can be used, you know, uh, for the actual implementation of the Hyperloop. Um, like as as you said, like it is an open source project. So within the twenty teams that are actually in the top twenties as well, we actually communicate with each other. And you know, just last week, one of the members from last year's Winners War were, was vacationing here in Ireland, and we got to meet them and talk to them about you know what they're doing and how they're getting on. So it is really a collaborative project. We're like we're not necessarily so. You know, we're you know we're not sharing our ideas with other teams, and they're sharing our ideas with us. So we're not very closed off. We're all open source, and we're all working towards the idea of making this a possibility. So we're all working towards you know innovation, and you know actually making this a reality rather than like a dream, really. Yeah. Okay, so we can talk in, in sort of very general terms about what Hyperloop is, eff- effectively putting um, uh, a pod into a tube and seeing how fast uh, it can go. But uh, let's talk a little bit about your own specific role. You're the lead software architect on the project. So tell me a little bit about what that entails. So, um, um, as you know, the Hyperloop is mostly a mechanical project, but there's a lot of software elements that have to be taken into account, like sensors, making sure the pod is going in a straight line, it's not overheating. Um, if there's anything wrong in the pod itself, we have to make sure that the brakes are initiated and, you know, no one, say, you know, in the future there will be people in here, so make, making sure that no one's in harm. Um, and then making these Hyperloops autonomous as well. So the key to these Hyperloops and making sure there's no, like, collision happening between two pods that are possibly going in the same track is, like, communicating within each other. So as part of the uh, lead software architect within Airloop, what I'm in charge of is making sure the pod is, like, you know, going in straight lines. There's safety measures put in place to make sure the brakes stop and, you know, anything that can go wrong, we have calculated that and we have the software to implement it. So you're effectively designing a, an operating system for for the pod, really, aren't you? I mean, you're you're looking to make use of as much uh, data as possible and to to have the thing almost completely automated, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like um, the you know the key to autonomous is that everything is autonomous. So you see these like Tesla cars and all these other ele- autonomous cars that are in the road, and you know there's there's some bad publicity towards them because there are collisions that happen, but. These are more or less avoided if everything is completely autonomous and everything can communicate with each other. So, like, what what we're trying to do is make sure that that runs smoothly and there's nothing going on that, you know, shouldn't be going on. Like, if the motors are overheating, we need to make sure that the brakes are initiated and the pod completely stops and, you know, people aren't at harm in any way. So we've alluded there to uh, what exactly the, the project entails. Uh, we've, we've talked about the software behind it. But in terms of the hardware and the infrastructure, if somebody shows up and has a look at the competition, uh, what exactly are they going to see? I mean, I imagine there's going to be tents with people, with crews of people hover, hovering around laptops. But what does the project itself actually look like? 
So we actually just sent off the pod last Friday, and um, our pod weighs around 160 kilograms, and it's about 2 meters in length and 1.25 meters in width and height. Um, and we, the way it's built is actually built from aluminium. So the chassis of the pod itself is made of aluminium, and we're hoping for the pod to go around 100 meters per second. That's you know a, a pretty uh, ambitious task, really. I, mean, I think uh, on on the Airloop website, you talked about some of the speeds that you're looking to to reach would basically get you from Dublin to Galway in in 11 minutes. So when you, when you're looking at something at that scale, how do you approach a problem? I mean, you're you're dealing with speeds that are heretofore sort of um, uh, you know not uh, not regularly used. I think it's fair to say in in transport. So how how do you scale the ideas that you're working with do you look at a problem and go okay this is this is the sort of um information i'll be getting in at 60 miles an hour which i'm used to what will the information i'm getting in to at you know 1200 kilometers per hour look look like and is that information scaling correctly or how do i spot something that's going wrong as opposed to something that you know i'm looking at being within sort of the the margin of error if you will yeah, so the, yeah, the Hyperloop itself is, is quite fast. Like they're hoping the Hyperloop will go at the speed of sound or Mach 1, which is uh, one, over 1,200 kilometers per hour, which is very fast. So the way, you know, we scale this is like, you obviously start off like, you know, from 300 kilometers per hour and then work your way up. But the way from getting the data in, like from a software perspective, is like getting rid of delays. So making sure the data comes in every millisecond or something like that rather than every other second and to make sure the data isn't corrupt and the um, you know the data is coming swiftly is like we use this thing called UDP protocols which is basically um, how data is being sent through communication protocol it's a communication protocol basically um, and it's the way it's one of the fastest protocols that you can use to make sure that your data is coming in correctly as well as uh, swiftly and quite quick so getting rid of delays and making sure you're using the correct protocols so data packets are being lost and communication is correct. So when you're using uh, sort of um, uh, a protocol like that, you're also reliant on physical infrastructure as well. I mean, I'm, I imagine tra- traditional Wi-Fi isn't going to cut it when you're traveling so far and so fast. So what is your infrastructure of choice in this? Yeah, so the way we do that is actually we, we obviously communicate to the pod um, via an Ethernet cable. So physically, we're actually connected to the pod. But another way, like the main reason that this would work is like the pod itself will be able to make its own decisions. So if it's overheating, the, we have, you know, the software set in place to make sure the pod can make the decision to initiate the brakes rather than a person initiating these brakes or like rather than us waiting for the data to come to, say, our server and our server is making the decisions. So the pod itself will be able to make these, these decisions because it's completely autonomous. So when you're looking at you know the, the finished product, if you will, to what extent do you see Hyperloop becoming a reality? I mean, you're working with the technology now, you're working with, with the infrastructure, with the sensors, with the software. How confident are you? What timeline would you particularly sort of put on it and go, yep, I will be using Hyperloop in 15, 20 years, etc.? cetera? Um, well, if you some of their hyperloop companies like Hyperloop One, Virgin Media, or the Virgin Group, 
to have um, to move from proof of concept to reality, which is like getting passengers in this mode of transportation by 2023. But if you say, let's just look at Ireland itself, since we are the Irish team and we're representing Ireland. Like, if you look at Dublin, there's huge traffic congestion in Dublin, and the population in Dublin compared to, say, rural areas is quite a lot. And, like, the the housing crisis in Dublin is huge. Rents are getting more and more, as well as traffic is, you know, increasing, as well as the population here in Ireland. Not only, like, more births in Ireland, as well as, like, people coming abroad for work as well. It's, you know, we're, we're really gearing towards being the tech hub of Europe, especially with Brexit coming in the way. So, like, it's, it's very unsustainable for, you know, a huge amount of population to live in Dublin itself. Imagine, like, living in Limerick or Galway and, like, only commuting to Dublin in, like, 12 minutes. So, like, you're, you know, you're not only, like, living in the countryside with less traffic, you're also eliminating the housing crisis, you know, there's less rent. So, really do, we really do need a new form of transportation because, you know, the buses, the Lewis, um, the cars just don't do it anymore. The more people that are in the city the harder it is for, you know, us to move from A to B quite quickly. And with the Hyperloop, that really is a reality. You can, like, live in Cork and work in Dublin or, like, um, live in, say, Paris, and it only takes you 30 minutes to come to Dublin. So you can, like, live in one country and work in another. It's quite easy for you to do that. And that was Niall Kitson chatting to Nina Canty from Airloop and the best of luck to them at the Hyperloop Challenge. That's almost it for our show this week. The programme is supported by PRTG from Paisler, which monitors your IT infrastructure 24-7 and alerts you to problems before your users even notice. If you're interested in working smarter, faster and better, check out their system at www.paisler.com. Just before we go, Niall, do we have one more thing for this week? Yeah, one more thing that we have up on Tech Central this week. If you're thinking of getting into the uh, crypto mining or crypto speculation uh, space, it's a bad time. It's a really bad time. Oh, you can find out why and get all things tech related on our website at techcentral.ie, as well as hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on the website. Or, of course, listen to our show each week online or Fridays at five on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. From Niall and myself, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.